0: Well, if you have your Bible near you, I encourage you to grab your copy of the Scriptures or a phone or something, and then go to Mark's Gospel and Mark. 15, and we're continuing on in the series in Mark, and uh, here we're at this uh, time of the crucifixion, and I've, I've planned this series, and the reason why I, I'm not doing a poem Sunday message as typical is uh, because I want to make sure that we got to the resurrection uh, on next Sunday, and so uh, that's the text for next Sunday, so as we're continuing through, it worked out to continue on, and, but we're going to be talking about a subject uh, that is difficult, Many different emotions I've experienced throughout this week as I've studied this text and consider Jesus and consider the agony that he not only endured, but that he actually embraced. And that's the part I hope that you consider over the next few minutes as we look at this text that this wasn't just agony that Jesus endured, this was agony that he willingly embraced. And he didn't have to. He could have stopped it. He could have not done this at all, but from the eternal plan of the triune God, the Godhead from eternity past, this was ordained and orchestrated that Jesus would suffer, and he would be a suffering servant. We saw allusions to that in the Old Testament, and uh, prophets like Isaiah and and we saw it fulfilled through the Gospels, and we see then the apostles then preaching and confirming that message through the book of Acts and the letters that they wrote. And so this morning, as we look at this agony, and it's a little bit more of a, of a heavy subject, I pray that you understand again that this was embraced by Jesus. And the reason he did was because of his love for the Father and his love for those he created. And so I'm going to pray and ask God's blessing, and then we'll read the text. Father, anytime we open your word and look at it, I pray that we would follow your Spirit's leading, and I pray that uh, we would be sensitive to what you are teaching us. And now as I have the privilege of teaching from this text, I pray that I would be filled with your Spirit and would communicate what is faithful to the text and what is most helpful to those who are listening. In Christ's name we do pray, amen. The text says, and I'm going to start reading in verse 16, actually. This was a part of the text that we read last week, but I'm going to read it in verse 16. It says, And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. They began to salute him Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled the passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, also reviled him. And when the sixth hour came, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, he, Oli, I, Oli, I, Lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it up to him to drink, saying, wait, Whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and the younger, and of Joseph and Salome? When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. There were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. It's a sobering text to read, isn't it? It's hard to read at times. It's easy to maybe gloss over a few of the details, or in Mark, he actually summarizes this. If you read the other gospel accounts, you'll find out more details. But it's enough here. There's enough here to get the picture. It's difficult. You know, if I want you to imagine like a basketball game, and maybe it's the end of overtime, and it's time for one last play, one last shot, and the coach is drawing up a plan, and, and here's the play, and he gives it to who does he give it to? Who does he want him to have the ball? Well, he wants the calmest and best player out there to have that last shot. Or imagine the security of a nation is threatened, and Threat levels have gone through the roof, and attack is imminent. Who do you want to have the nuclear codes? Who do you want to have to be, have that responsibility to make the final call on what to do or what not to do? You want someone who is calm under pressure. One more example. Imagine you need a crucial surgery to save your life for the life of a loved one. Who do you want holding the scalpel? Who do you want performing that surgery? Of course, you want the best doctor available, someone with a steady hand and clear knowledge of what to do. You know, this is how the Gospels present Jesus as He faces the cross. He's under extreme pressure, a pressure that we can never even fathom. And He's actually sweating drops of blood, and yet at every stage, Jesus appears calm. But what makes His calmness more amazing is we consider the agony that He was in and what he embraced. So that's what I want to talk about is how Jesus embraced agony. And First of all, he embraced uh, physical agony. And we see this in, in verse 15 of how he was scourged. Uh, first of all, he was scourged by Pilate. And we saw that before he was given over and led away to be crucified, Pilate, after making a, a deal with the crowd and, and appeasing the crowd, he he scourges Jesus and and sends him to be crucified. And this was with a whip that had several ends to it, and and hard objects like bone and and stone were were embedded in the ends of these whips, and it was designed to create intense pain and and suffering and. And it was so bad that men actually died from even this stage of the punishment. And it was, it was a terrible thing. And I won't go into all the graphic details, but you can use your imagine of what a whip like that would do to someone's back. And this is what Jesus endured, and the agony that he embraced. It's not just a scourging, though. The soldiers, we read how they hit and spit upon him and crowned him with thorns You know, Isaiah 52 talks about that the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the one who would be sacrificed, Jesus, he was beaten so severely that he was not recognizable as a human. Think about that. Think about what he endured on the cross and before he even got to the cross, this physical agony. They also put a a robe on him and after he had been scourged and, and then tore it off again, probably reopening wounds and... It was just a terrible time, spitting on him and beating him, and this was agony, that physical agony that Jesus endured and embraced. Uh, he was—we're we told that the, a man by the name of Simon had to come and. Carry the cross, the soldiers actually compelled him. they actually by force pulled Simon out of the crowd and, and said, "You must carry this man 's cross for him and because it was a Roman tradition that the the, the convicted person would carry their own cross and, and it 's not the full uh, a cross section that we uh, sometimes see represented. It was it was a cross beam, and so there was a post that was placed into the ground, and then the cross beam is what the the, the convicted person would have to carry on his way to be crucified and So as he was carrying this crossbeam, the the only uh, uh, reasonable explanation that we can think of of why they had Simon carry the crossbeam instead of Jesus is because Jesus was too weak. He was too physically diminished to even carry that crossbeam, and it was heavy. And so Simon is pulled out of the crowd, and they tell him, you've got to carry this for him. Can you imagine being Simon in that moment? can you imagine coming to Jerusalem for, for a Passover celebration and, and being caught up in the frenzy of this, and now he's carrying this. And you can imagine when all the pieces finally clicked into place in Simon's mind. Uh, there's some evidence that he uh, was known of the church later on. And in the book of Romans, there's some evidence, and this is the reason why his sons are listed there. Uh, many people believe. And so there's, there's evidence, and there's some, some thought that he, Simon becomes a follower of Christ later on. Can you imagine? those details clicking into his mind of that day when he was compelled to carry the cross beam because his Savior was too weak. The one who died to save his sins was too weak to carry this. It was tremendous physical pain. He did Not take the wine mixed with myrrh, and there's different thoughts on why he didn't do that. I think the most reasonable one is because, uh, with the right amount of myrrh and the right amount of wine, it would be uh, almost as like a narcotic, it would be a, a numbing uh, a pain. it would help numb the pain. And Jesus refused that because he wanted to embrace the full agony of what was being asked of him and what was the plan so that you and I could have our sins forgiven. We got to keep that in mind through this whole discussion this morning that this is why Jesus did this. This is why he's embracing this physical agony at this time. And he refused the wine. He refused the myrrh. And then, of course, he's crucified. There's the physical culmination, the physical agony culmination. And, you know, Mark only gives four words to this. In this heartbreaking reality, it says, and they crucified him. And that's you know, he says that in verse 24, and that's all he says, and it's almost like an afterthought of after everything that Jesus endured is then he's, they crucified him. But The Roman crucifixion was designed for, uh, to be public and to be painful. They, they wanted many people to see it. They wanted many people to be instructed by this, and it was designed to be very painful, and, and they, uh, they had different crosses and shapes. Some looked like a T, some looked like an X, and some looked like the traditional cross that uh, you and I would think of. And I think it would be more of the traditional one because the sign is said it's placed above his head. And so the T cross wouldn't have worked in that situation or the X-shaped uh, uh, one. So I think it is the traditional cross section that we think of. Um, but they had different ways of doing this. And they had different ways of crucifying people. And they didn't always use nails. Uh, they sometimes tied people to the cross uh, instead of using nails. But it appears in Jesus' case so we know that they did use nails because later on when he appears to Simon, or excuse me, he appears to the uh, uh, Thomas, and he says, hey, put your hands in the wounds here. And so he had nail marks. And so they nailed his hands to the and feet to the cross. And this was part of the physical agony that he was enduring. But that didn't kill the man. That didn't kill the victim in the Roman crucifixion. What killed the person was exhaustion and asphyxiation or even uh, being exposed to wild animals. You see, it took a long, long time. It took a long time for a, crucified vi- a victim of crucifixion to die. It was not a quick death. It was very painful and very long. In fact, next week we're going to see how that when Jesus dies, Pilate is shocked and surprised at how fast he died. Well, the reason is, is because Jesus gave his life up. It wasn't taken from him. But I'm going to get ahead of myself. That's next week. But this crucifixion was awful. And it was designed for tremendous amounts of pain. And the person, when they could no longer pull themselves up to breathe, that's how they died. Or when wild animals attacked them, because sometimes the crosses were uh, not very high off the ground, or birds would come and attack. Again, I don't want to be too graphic in some ways, but in other ways, I need to paint the picture of this physical agony that Jesus embraced. And so one of the application points that we can think about with this is that Jesus understands any and all physical pain you may experience. Any and all physical, physical suffering you may have, Jesus understands it. So when you're crying out to the Lord in the middle of the night when you can't sleep because your pain is unbearable, the one who is making ever, ever lives to make intercession for you understands that. The one who is praying for you, the one who is your advocate, your mediator between you and the father, he understands the physical pain that you are dealing with. And so when you think and you feel like no one else can understand, then you might be right. And then no one else around you in your circle of of friends and associates, they don't understand what you're going through. You might be right, but your savior does. And he understands the difficulty of what you're going through. And he has embraced the same pain and even more so that he could secure your eternal redemption. And so the pain that Jesus endured here and embraced was physical. But it wasn't just physical. There's two other kinds I want to talk about briefly. And the second one is this, is that there was a mental agony as well. And I'll move more quickly through this one. But it's nonetheless, it's still just as important as the physical agony. There's the mental agony of being mocked. This seems to be an emphasis of Mark's gospel, of how often throughout this whole course, Jesus is mocked. I mean, first of this, the soldiers are mocking him in verses 18 through 20. We read about that. They're acting as if he's a king and and they're spitting upon him and they're mocking him. That has a, a psychological effect on you. But it didn't stop with the soldiers, even those who are passing by, even those who are just walking by. Remember, I told you, that the crucifixion, the Roman crucifixion was designed to be public and so people would walk by and people would see this and even those who were walking by just wagging their heads and they're, they're mocking him. This is a fulfillment of Psalm 22, by the way. But you see here that there's this this mocking to the soldiers and just the general public are making fun of him. And then the chief priest and the scribes, we see in verse 31, that they're in a self-congratulatory way. They're talking to each other. And you almost get the sense that they're giving each other high fives here. And they're, and they're excited and they're glad about what they finally accomplished after so long of planning and looking for those opportunities. And they feel so grateful that Judas gave them what they were longing for, that they had the opportunity to put this man to death. And so in their mocking of him, they congratulate themselves. And they're glad of what they've accomplished. And then even Mark continues on, even the other, soldier, the other robbers who were crucified with Jesus mocked him. He doesn't give the account of the one penitent uh, uh, person on the cross. Other gospel writers do that, but both started out mocking him. And so we see that there's a mental agony of just being mocked throughout this whole thing that had to have a psychological effect on him, be made fun of and derided. There's also the mental agony of being shamed. You know, he's spit upon. I can't think of, you know, a more shameful thing to have done to you in some ways. I'm sure there are more, but that's just a a very despicable thing, very dehumanizing act to do to someone and they spit on him. You're not worth this we hate you. There's this mental agony of just being spit upon. He's paraded through the streets. Uh, he couldn't carry the cross beam. We've already talked about that, but he's, he's paraded through the streets and people are jeering and people are, are saying things to him. That had to have a psychological effect. Then the idea of being exposed with shame. Romans crucified their victims naked. There's some evidence that Jesus was at least allowed a loincloth, but we don't know that. But either way, he was exposed. The shame that goes along with that. Mental agony, knowing that, you know, we we know later on that his mother sees him at the cross. His friends are nearby, people that he knew, and they're seeing him exposed. The mental agony. And Jesus embraced this. So there's the mental agony of, being mocked and being shamed. But there's one other part of mental agony that I just want to bring to your attention quickly, and that is the mental agony of being right. Jesus was right, and yet he was condemned. Have Have you ever had a situation where you know you're in the right and you're not vindicated and people are believing everybody else and you know you're right and that the mental taxation that that causes is is not to be discounted. And Jesus knows that he is in the right. He is doing the right thing. And he is being persecuted for it. He's being killed for it because it's part of the plan. And yet he embraced it. This idea of being right. He really was the king. They they were mocking him for it, but he really was the king. Colossians says that he holds the world. Uh, um, uh, Hebrews says that he holds the, the world by the word of his power. They accused him of blaspheming God, but in reality, their accusation was the one that was blasphemous. And Jesus is going through this idea that he is right in all this, and yet he's staying silent because he's embracing this. He was being taunted to save himself, and yet he did not save himself so he could truly save the ones who were making fun of him. It's mental agony. There's a Puritan... He's obscure, more of an obscure Puritan. I've only found a couple of his writings, but I found a quote by him, and he, it's actually in a foreword to another book that I was reading several years ago, and I've never forgotten this. It's a little bit longer quote, and so I have it uh, that you can read as well. Of, uh, Dr. Benjamin Grosford, Grosvenor, who was a, a Puritan in the 1600s, he said this, and, it, and he's, he's talking as if um, Jesus is giving marching orders to the apostles, okay? And so it's fictitious. Jesus didn't say this, but he's trying to capture the heart of Jesus and saying this is something that he might have said to the apostles as he's giving them the great commission or sending them out in Acts chapter one. And so this is what he says. He says this, he says, if you meet that poor wretch that thrust the spear into my side, tell him that there's another way. There's a better way of coming at my heart. If he will repent and look upon him whom he has pierced and will mourn, I will cherish him in that very bosom that he has wounded. He shall find the blood that he shed, an ample atonement for the sin of shedding it. And tell him from me that he will put more pain and more displeasure by refusing This offer of my blood than when he first drew it forth. Now, we don't know that Jesus said that, but that does capture his heart, his mental agony that he had, that he was willing to take on the suffering so he could save people. He was willing to be silent while they were mocking him so he truly could save them. This is what he embraced. There's one other element that I must share, but before I do here's the application. Jesus understands that any and all mental anguish you may experience, he understands it. He gets it. So whatever mental difficulties and, and taxation and feeling overwhelmed and all that stuff that many of us deal with, anxiety, all that, Jesus gets it. On the cross and the crucifixion, this was something that was a reality for Jesus. And he understands. And so When you're in that moment, when you feel like you're all alone and you feel like there's no other answers and you feel like no one gets it and you feel like the walls are closing in on you and you feel like no one understands and you're being misrepresented, then I want you to remember this text here. I want you to remember that Jesus embraced this agony. He knows it and it gives you hope. And we're going to talk about how that gives you hope in a second. But there's one other element of agony that I got to talk about and it's so important to this text. And it's not just the physical agony, and it's not just the mental agony, but it's the spiritual agony that Jesus embraced. And we see this when He cries out in verse uh, twenty, excuse me, verse thirty-four, when He cries out, "My God, My God, why have You forsaken me?" See, all of a sudden, with this one statement, the reality of the Garden of Gethsemane, the prayer, the agony there in the garden, that becomes crystal clear in this moment. When Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's talking about a spiritual agony that he is experiencing here that he's never experienced before. And it's heart-wrenching when we consider it, when it's heart-wrenching when we think about it. So what was was he saying when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is happening here is that because he is bearing the sin of the world on him, the father has to turn his back to him. And the father has to turn away from him. And he is experiencing this in this moment. And it is, it is earth shattering to him. And this is the reason why in the garden, he knew this was coming. This is the reason why in the garden that he was trembling. And this is the reason why he was sick to his stomach and he was praying. And this is the reason why he said, if there be any other way, father, if there be any other way, please, I don't want to lose my relationship with you for this time. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You see, this was the spiritual agony that Jesus was embracing. And for the first time, when Jesus called out to the Father, there was no answer. Think about that. Children of Israel, they're in slavery in Egypt. They call out to God. He delivers. They get to the Red Sea Moses intercedes and they don't know what to do. He he calls out, Moses calls out to God. God shows up and answers and parts the Red Sea for him. Later on, Daniel, he is cast into the lion's den for praying. He prays to God. God shows up and sends angels to deliver him from that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are cast into the fiery furnace because of their refusal to bow down to a false god. And God sends a representative to be with them in the furnace. And so time and time again we have seen that in the moments of deepest distress, when God's people call out to him, Elijah, when he's feeling uh, 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 depressed, an angel comes. In the moments of deepest discouragement and distress God answers and he always comes back and he always comes through and he always shows up but here when Jesus says my God, my God why have you forsaken me? Silence. This was intense agony intense agony for our Savior. I think of the song and how deep the Father's love for us how great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns His face away. That pain is talking about Jesus' pain. It's not talking about the God the Father's pain. It's talking about Jesus' pain there. And the agony that not only did He endure, but He embraced so He could fulfill the salvation plan for you and for me. So here's the application. If you ever feel like God is silent and distant, it's not true. You know how I know that? Because he was silent to Jesus on the cross, and that satisfied the silence. And so Jesus, God's the, uh, the Father's silence to Jesus when he cries out, Why have you forsaken me? That's what paid and, and satisfied the wrath of God. And so that now he is there for us, and he is available. So we too experience agony. All of us do. We experience physical agony We experience mental agony. We experience spiritual agony at times. But it's not like Jesus. But we do experience this pain. However, Jesus' experience can make all the difference in our experience of these if we believe in him. You see, this man here, this centurion, he says, truly, this man was the son of God. He recognized Jesus for who he was. This is an important statement because way back in Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, we see this. We see the very first verse. We see in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is what Mark wants people to understand, that Jesus is the Son of God. He is God. He is our Savior. And so way back in the beginning, when he starts this thing, he says, I'm going to make a case for Jesus being the Son of God. And then in chapter 15, at the cross, we have someone who had seen death. We had someone who had killed many people by his own hand, greatly moved by Jesus. How is it that such a hardened soldier would be so moved by Jesus? How is it that someone who has seen many people die and who has killed many people. How is it that this crucifixion was different for him? Mark gives the clue here when he says, and facing in verse 39, when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. He understood that somehow something was different about this death. And it wasn't that it was the crucifixion that killed him. It was that he was in control, that he was in control of his death and he gave up his life. And so it was this moment here where the centurion saw that this person was the son of God and he believed in him. And that makes all the difference in the world. And so you and I need to continue to believe in God or for the first time, believe in Jesus as our savior. And that will make all the difference in the world and how we deal with the physical pain of life and how we deal with the mental pain of life and how we deal with the spiritual pain of life. If we believe in Jesus, it changes everything. How so? Very quickly, you can see on the screen there that it is that all of our pain with Jesus or without Jesus, I was going to say with Jesus is temporary, without Jesus is permanent. And so uh, the, the mental, or excuse me, the physical pain that you and I deal with in this life, that will continue on for eternity if we don't believe in Jesus. The the mental anguish that we deal with at times in this life will continue on and intensify for all eternity if we don't believe in Jesus. The spiritual frustrations that we feel in this life will get worse and worse for all eternity without Jesus. Yet, if you believe in Jesus like the centurion, if you give your life to Jesus and you follow him and you believe in him, any pain and suffering that you experience in this life is just that in this life. It's temporary. And that's the reason why Jesus did this. He gave it so that he would be glorified and bring in many sons to glory, and he would be glorified and bringing people to the Father so that we can have eternal life with him. And so again, as I conclude, I want to conclude by sharing that quote again by that Puritan, because it's so beautiful. He said this, if you meet that poor wretch that thrust the spear into my side, Tell him there's another way. There's a better way at coming at my heart. If he will repent, and that's what you and I need to do. We need to repent of our sins, to turn from our sins. Ask God to forgive us our sins. If he will repent and look upon him whom he has pierced and will mourn, I will cherish him in that very bosom that he has wounded. He will find the blood he shed an ample atonement for the sin of shedding it. And tell him for me, he will put me in more pain and more displeasure by refusing this offer of my blood than when he first drew it forth. And so if we're rejecting God or we're rejecting Jesus' sacrifice or we're living as if it doesn't even matter, that causes much more pain than what he endured on the cross. And so this agony that Jesus endured, this agony was something that he embraced so that we could have eternal life and so that we could be brought into heaven and brought into relationship with him. And so this is the reason that we need to look at Jesus' agony today for what it means for us for all eternity. Let me give you some homework and then we're going to sing how deep the Father's love for us uh, as, as we conclude. So here's the homework. Which contemplate which type of agony, physical, mental, or spiritual, most resonates with you. And why is that? Which one is something that that's the thing that just really resonates with you that you're experiencing the most? And and consider why that is, and then consider how knowing that Jesus understands that is helpful. Discuss how Jesus's experience of agony can help our experience of pain. And that kind of leads to what I just said. And so discuss with someone, maybe uh, someone in your home, maybe a friend, maybe you call up someone, maybe in a small group discussion, however you do it, but discuss with someone how Jesus' experience of agony can help our experience of pain. And then, because this message is so crucial to give out to people, the message of the cross, that Jesus, what He embraced, the agony that He embraced, so that you and I wouldn't have to embrace it for all eternity— This message is so important to give out. Here's the third part uh, part of the homework assignment. Think of and submit three creative ways to share the message of the cross with our neighbors and community, and just email them to me. Uh, Think of three creative ways that we could share the message of the gospel uh, with our communities, with our neighbors, and then we can compile the list and we can share it with each other so we can have a database of great ideas to do this. And so send me an email with your, your creative thinking. So as we consider this final song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, consider, consider how Jesus' agony, that he embraced it so that we wouldn't have to embrace it for all eternity. So How Deep the Father's Love for Us.